0: Good morning everyone, happy Sabbath, hope you're doing very well. I was commenting earlier this morning how there wasn't any rain and now I'm seeing some sprinkles. That's okay, it's getting a little warmer, I'm seeing your guys' smiling faces, let's pray before we start. Dear Lord, thank you so much for a day, an opportunity in which we can learn about you in which we can focus a specific part of this restful Sabbath on learning about how what you have to say to us applies practically to our lives and what we can do. May these, be wor- these words be yours and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. Might be seeing something on the screen right now that says Brunswick Jumping Beans. If you uh, know me, or if you've been at my two last uh, sermons, you'll know that I like using nature to sort of a, a tie together some, some biblical thoughts, and I used mushrooms and mycelium, uh, the last two. Today, we're at jumping beans. We've made it. <laughs> um, but before we, we, we dive in and start talking about them, I'd like to quickly look at the story of Esther and rehash a few of the things um, from that story. I'm going to give you kind of the the spark notes, cliff notes version of the story as we look at the overview, the skeleton of of what happened. So feel free to follow along uh, in your Bible. I'm starting at the very beginning of Esther. I won't be citing specific verses, but I will be talking about specific events as they happen. And then coming back at the end. To a verse that I think is very, very interesting and powerful, and a verse that I know most of you are are, um, acquainted with well. Esther. A long time ago, (laughs) there was a king named Ahasuerus. He had a large kingdom. This kingdom spanned from India to Ethiopia. That is a large, massive land, if you think about it. If you know where, if you're good at geography, if you know where those two things are, I, I think you'd, you'd understand that these are, this is a huge, huge, massive land. And this king, it seems, was a king who cared for his people. So this king threw a party, a festival, a feast, for seven days for his people. And they were eating, they were drinking, they were being merry, they were having a lot of fun, and the king decided to call out, for his wife, Vashti, to come out so he could show her to the people there. She refused to come. Good for her. But she refused to come, and she decided to stay. Unfortunately, the price normally that she would have to pay according to their law was death for not showing up. However, the wise men, the people who were the advisors of the king, decided, hey, you know, Let's talk to Ahasuerus and give him this uh, alternative plan. The alternative plan was, well, what if we find you a new queen? What if we set it up so you have someone that's going to respect you? Because as, as it sits right now, if, if you're queen, you're the king of the, of the whole country. If your queen isn't respecting you and coming when you call, then what are the queens of, of their own houses? Sorry, what are the women in their houses going to... Uh, How are they going to react to their husbands when they call? They're going to mirror what's already happening in their kingdom. They're going to use you as an example. So here's what we're going to do, king. You're going to gather up a bunch of candidates and we're going to have um, uh, uh, basically a selection where you're going to choose a new queen, a queen that's going to respect you. And thus, the men of the kingdom are still going to have control in their household After this, we're led to the story of Mordecai and Esther. Esther, an orphan who lives with her uncle Mordecai, uh, who really is her dad, that's her parent. Um, Mordecai and his wife are housing Esther and Mordecai speaks to Esther about joining this selection, this uh, Susa's Got Talent, uh, that's the name of the the kingdom where they lived, uh, Got Talent sort of uh, selection there. And so Esther joins. She does very well. She's liked by everyone there. Everyone there seems to see that, that there's something special about her, that she, she's not like uh, the other women. She's, she's someone who's kind and, and someone who has integrity. And so she moves quickly through the ranks because also along with kindness and integrity, she's also very beautiful. So it becomes an easy choice for this king. The king chooses her. She becomes the new queen. Next in the story, we see that Mordecai reveals to Esther that there is a plot to kill the king. This is a huge deal because it wasn't just some random plot from a different country. It was two of the king's advisors, close advisors. They they were plotting to kill him. Mordecai tells Esther. Esther tells the king, plan is thwarted. The king survives. Is Mordecai thanked in that moment? Not yet, not yet. We then later become privy to the relationship between a man named Haman and a man named Mordecai. Haman, that is not Jewish, notices Mordecai, a Jew, standing up when he should be kneeling down. Haman is parading himself through the streets, looking at everyone, making sure they know that, hey, I'm in charge. I'm the one that's important here. You need to bow down to me. I have power. Mordecai doesn't. He stands up. He stands up straight and looks at him as he parades by. And Haman looks at him, just angry. He knows who Mordecai is. Mordecai is, a, is an important person in the palace as well. So he plots to kill. Just Mordecai? No. His entire extended family, everyone who is a Jew, From one person, standing up to another person, he decides, you know what, why don't I just exterminate this entire group of people? One person. Esther and Mordecai, later then, um, speak, and they're alarmed, because Haman has plotted something. Plotted something so deviously that he convinced the king that this was necessary. He says, listen, king, there's this group of people who's just not respecting, they're not obeying, and you know, they've got to be dealt with. Listen, king, I'm going to put my own money into this. It's going to be fine. All I need is your ring. You've got to stamp it, and then we'll make it happen. You think the king thought about it, refused? He went along with it. He gave that stamp of approval, and an edict was sent out through the entire kingdom, From India to Ethiopia. Let's reverse that because it's from your perspective. From India to Ethiopia. That is a lot of edicts. Now, I thought this was really interesting because if I was going to plot to kill an entire people to commit genocide, I probably wouldn't publicize it that much. I wouldn't put edicts up everywhere. I know we're talking about something morbid, but I just don't think it really makes sense and I thought that was really interesting. Esther and Mordecai, back to them. They are talking about what's going to happen to their people because Esther, she's a Jew. Mordecai, he's a Jew. If this plan, if this edict is carried out, both of them will die. Their entire family, everyone they know, their entire community will perish. So Mordecai says to Esther, listen, you are in a place of power. You have influence. You can be the one to talk to the king. Esther says, Come on, I haven't seen the king in, in 30 days. You expect me to just waltz into the palace and I'll be welcomed in? I, I, I don't know. Then Mordecai says that kind of famous quote that we can all think of when we read the book of Esther For such a time as this. You guys know that, right? It's familiar. He says something, and that's in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. I'm not going to show it yet, but it's important, and we're going to come back to it. Esther says, okay, I'm going to do it, but here's what, you, here's what I need you to do. You've got to fast for three days with all the people. Then I'm going to fast for three days with all my people. At the end of this, I will, I will present myself to the king, and I will tell him about this plan and try to stop it. Esther goes into the king's palace. She walks in at the end of the three days, brave. Because if she fails, she will die. It is not going to work out if she is not accepted by the king. And they already had previous experience of what happened to Vashti. So Esther was nervous. She walks in. The king puts out his gold scepter. She kisses it. She's welcome. She walks in, and, and the king says, listen, Esther, thank you for being here. I know I didn't call you, but what could I, what could I offer you? If you want half the kingdom, I'll, I'll give it to you. You need only ask. And Esther says, king, listen, all, all, I, all I want is, is to invite you and your friend, uh, or you invite you and Haman to come to a banquet with me. And the king's like, OK, great. Yeah, I'm in. Let's go eat some food. They go to the banquet. Esther's supposed to reveal this plot to the king. She wasn't able to that first time. My, my mind gets a little muddled here in the story because I haven't read the book as often as I've watched the Veggie Tales version of, uh, of the story of Esther. And although the stories do overlap, there is a lot missed in translation. There aren't as many legumes mentioned in the, in the, the biblical version. And so what is mirrored is the fact that there are two banquets, At the first one, Esther fails to say what she needs to say. And at the end of that banquet, she says, the reason I invited you to this banquet is to invite you to the next banquet. So they have that second banquet. In between the first and the second banquet, a few things happen. Haman, at the end of the first banquet, is walking on on sunshine. This guy's walking out of that place thinking, man, I just had dinner with the king and the queen Things are working out for me, about to eradicate an entire group, entire group of people. Man, things are looking up for him. He walks out. He sees someone at the entrance of the palace sitting down. It's Mordecai. Haman looks at him with hate in his heart, with murderous intent. Doesn't do anything. He goes home. He talks to his wife. Listen, honey, this is going to work out. This plot it's going to work out. In fact, we're going to build some gallows to hang this guy. They're going to be 50 feet high. Around that same time, we go back to the room where the king is, is about to go to bed. And I think in the VeggieTales version, he's about to go to bed. and This is kind of his story time. And the, 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 the scribe is reading what happened during his day and what happened in the few days prior and the weeks prior. And the scribe is saying, okay, so this happened, you signed this paper, and also uh, this guy named Mordecai saved your life and you never did anything to thank him. And also, and the king's like, wait, hold on, hold on, what did you just say? Mordecai, we didn't do anything to thank him? Oh man, we should do something to thank him. Is there anyone in the office right now? Is Haman in? All right, call Haman in. So Haman comes to his, to his chamber, and Haman is, is, is like, okay, what's going on? the king says to him, listen, I need your help. There's this man that the king would like to honor. What do you think should be done to a man like this? And Haman's like, oh, it's me. All right, fine. King, listen, uh, here's what I think you should do. You should fit this man with robes that are so beautiful, that, robes that you've worn before that are, that are beautiful beyond comprehension. You should fit him with a crown on his head and he should be paraded through the streets on, on the back of a horse that you've ridden before. And it should be said that this is the man who the king wishes to honor. And so it shall be done to the man for the king, who the king wishes to honor. And the king says, that's a great idea. All right, Haman, I want you to do it, all right? And Haman's like, wait, you want me to do it? To who? Oh, Mordecai, you know Mordecai, right? And Haman's like, you know, imagine the irony there. So Haman does it. He parades Mordecai through the streets saying, you think he said it enthusiastically? Maybe he had to. I don't know. I hope he did. But he probably was like, and this is show shall be done for the man the king wishes to honor. Gritting his teeth probably. We come back to banquet number two. Esther is there with Haman and the king and finally reveals The plot to kill her people, to kill her, to kill her uncle. The king reacts in anger. Who? Who is the one that has done this? He didn't know that he was partially to blame. But Esther says it's Haman. Haman is the one. The king's anger is kindled. Haman goes to the feet of Esther and begs for his life. Awkwardly and clumsily, he joins her on the couch that she's sitting on and clings to her. The king sees this and, what are you doing? Would you assault my wife in our own home? The king calls his guards probably and says, take him in a way to be executed. In fact, hang him on the very gallows that he made for Mordecai. There's a little more in the story. the edicts that went out to exterminate all the Jews, a new edict went out that said that Jews could protect themselves against those who would wish to do them harm and that they would be protected. So pretty much everyone in the kingdom afterwards, afterwards, Jew or not, was like, yeah, I'm Jewish. Don't hurt me. (laughs) That's kind of how they reacted to this. It says it in the Bible that everyone was saying they were Jewish. The story ends by saying that all of Haman's wealth, all of Haman's property, Haman's house, is how the Bible refers to it, was taken over by Mordecai. What a story. Kind of a great story, but also a terrible story. What a a terrible person. But it's not about him. It's about Esther and what she did. She changed the trajectory I want to read this verse with you that you'll see on the screen. I'm sorry it's so tiny. But if you can't read it, it's in chapter 4 of Esther, and it's verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in the seat in front of you. But if not, follow along with me on the screen. For if you keep silent at this time, it's supposed to be at, not and, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We know that last line very well. I think that that last line has been repeated over and over again. But it's not the one that we, it's not the part that we, that usually that we pay it the part preceding this is not the part we usually pay attention to. Let's read that one more time. If you keep silent, relief and deliverance is gonna come from somewhere else. You and your father's house will perish. If Esther had not acted, stuff still would have worked out. But it would have come from somewhere else and her father's house would have perished. That might be Mordecai talking to Esther, but it's also God talking to us. There are a few curious things that stand out to me in this story, and I think that I just want to share them with you because I think they're curious. The king is made to seem very human in this story, almost kind, but he makes a lot of mistakes. Esther, I forget this, I'm not sure why, but she was an orphan, She did not have a mother or father. She had a mother and father figure, but her own parents weren't there. Another thing is it's incredible to me that one man's defiance could lead another man to think that he could eradicate the entire nation of Israel. It's curious to me that before Esther went to visit the king that she hadn't seen the king For 30 days to me that if you hadn't if you haven't seen your spouse in 30 days you haven't spoken in 30 days there might be an issue there there might be or a really long vacation for just one of you (laughs) before esther made the decision to go see the king she fasted i think that's interesting I also think it's interesting that after this, Mordecai became second in command in the kingdom. Sort of echoing what has already happened in the history of God's people before, right? He's not the first second in command of the kingdom. It's a fascinating story to me because it isn't like all the other Bible stories we normally read. And I think uh, for, for a specific reason, God is not mentioned in this book. But he's heavily implied. I think of how this echoes Our community. God is not always mentioned. You don't hear His name at every street corner. But there's a lot of implication that something's happening, especially at this church. I love this church. The outreach sabbaths that we have—there's something implied going on there. I want to—I want to look at this verse one more time. Last time, apply it to yourself. Read it in your own context. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the people in your community from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to Brunswick for such a time as this? If this verse, if somebody said that to you, would you not be a little alarmed? Would there not be some urgency that you would feel? You'll be destroyed if you don't do anything. (laughs) That's not really comfortable. Let's take a quick break from Esther. Talk about jumping beans. Now, I have their Brunswick jumping beans, but what I'm really talking about is Mexican Jumping beans. I imagine hearing in the background as they're jumping the... As I remember the first time as I was a kid, seeing these in a box and being like, what is happening here? What, what's going on? Uh, I remember them sitting underneath a, a lamp. It was a heated lamp and there was a box, a shoe box, full of these little jumping beans. They're not actually jumping beans, but I remember seeing them jump up and down as a kid and being like, what, what's going on here? Uh, we don't eat those, right? No, you don't, or you shouldn't. Jumping beans aren't really beans. They're seeds. They grow on this little bush here. They come in little pods of three. And what happens is a specific type of moth larvae uh, burrows in through a tiny hole in the seed and makes its home in there. It eats the seed from the inside, making more room for its growing body. And when it's done, it comes out. It metamorphosizes into a moth. Now, the way that, these, that they get into these seeds is they've been, they've been already living there. And, he, and here's their, their life cycle. You'll see uh, the seed. It, it, looks, it, has a two, it has a round side and it has two um, kind of flat sides. So when it does jump, uh, I saw this video about two months ago. If it jumps, it's capable of actually going uphill because of its anatomy. The seed, it lands on, a, on, a, on, a, on the rock, on the side where it will rock back and forth. But if it lands on a solid side, it'll stay there. Then it jumps again, keeps on going, keeps on going. What is interesting is that these larvae inside of the seed build a sort of cocoon around themselves, not really a cocoon, more like bedding, of silk. They line the seed with silk to make it a comfortable place for them, a comfortable place for them to be living. And, and then they also, as they're living in there, are able to grab onto that silk with their mandibles and then with their, with their rear ends hit the bean on the side. I'm calling it a bean. It's a seed. Hit the seed on the side and then flip themselves over to move. Now, you might be asking yourself like me, why do they need to move? What are they trying to avoid? Well, these little guys can get pretty dry in there. This is the, the larvae. And inside the seed, if they don't have enough moisture, which the seed naturally allows to go in, if they don't have enough or if they've been in the sunlight for too long, they will die. They'll dry up. So why they're moving is to get out of the hot sun into cool shade. That's why they jump. So when I was a kid, seeing them stimulated under that lamp, they were jumping because they wanted to get out of there. I didn't know that. And if anything damages their seed... They will, make, they will cover it up with a little silk there to protect themselves, to stay hidden, to stay inside, to stay in the dark, alone. As they are preparing for their metamorphosis, they cut with their mandibles a little circle in the seed, to prepare for future them to then come out. You'll see the skin of the pupa there. Uh, as it's gone out through that escape hole and there's the moth. An experiment was done to try and figure out why this happened and I've explained it to you already. There's a heat lamp on one side and a cooling pack on the other and these beans will do all that they can to get out of that hot area and go to the cool, refreshing area. There was a quote that was said at the beginning and at the end of the video that I watched a few months ago on this. It said this, freedom isn't what this animal lives for. For most of its life, it's totally fine being a young larva trapped inside a dark seed. I hope you can start to see a few of the points I'm trying to make here. I feel there are times when we're stuck in our cycles of comfort where the only one who benefits from our jumping action is ourselves. We're only concerned about number one, me, I, myself. I gotta get out of this heat so I can be cool and comfortable. But what about the others? I'm not trying to say that there isn't a time for you to help yourself. I think that's important. I think it's responsible. But I think if that's the only thing that you focus on, you are a failure as a Christian. The Mexican jumping bean focuses on making itself comfortable as it evades the heat of the day so that it won't dry out and it bounces its way into a cold, refreshing area so that it survives. But stuck inside the seed, it often bumps into other seeds. You'll notice that there are a few left over on the heat. They weren't able to make it. They got bumped by the other seeds and hit against the wall in such a way that they weren't able to jump again. And all the majority of the seeds made it to the cool area, but a few slipped. If I was near this, I would grab them and move them because I don't want them to perish. I think, I think we're often in a, in a, in a similar situation. I think of Esther, and I mentioned her story specifically because Esther went from this orphan upbringing into a comfortable life in the palace, Uh, a life where she had everything she could have ever wanted, and it wasn't her choice to be there. She made it through the talent show, but she she had everything she could ever want, anything she could ever need. When her cousin or uncle Mordecai was at the front gate with covered in sackcloth and ashes. Esther sent out robes for him. He didn't need that at the time. He needed to be saved and Noah's his people would be saved. Because what would be the point for Esther being a queen of a kingdom if all her people are eradicated, dead? Esther stepped out of her comfort zone and risked her own life to save the life of others. She made an escape pod with her proverbial mandibles and escaped, risking drying up in the sun of the king to save her people. That's why that verse in Esther is so alarming to me. Because she didn't have to do it. Did she have to? Was she forced to? No. No. Mordecai had no power over her there. He had no power over her at all. He was outside. She was on the inside. She was the only one that could have helped. And she decided to. But if she didn't do it, God would have brought someone else to help. God would have still saved his people. You hear what I'm saying? We're here in Brunswick. You don't do it. Someone else will. If we don't do what we're called to do, it's still going to take care of itself. God will not abandon his people. The thing is that there are only people that you can reach. There are only situations in which you will be the most successful one to help. You've heard of the opportunities of the people who presented before I started speaking. You have opportunities now. They're presented before you. You might be the one in a financial position to be able to help more than anyone else. You might be the one with so much time in your Sunday that you have time to help move that furniture in to that Ukrainian, the new Ukrainian family's apartment. And if you pass by these opportunities, someone else will do them. But what did that verse say? Deliverance will come from someone else but you and your father's house will perish. Sounds like a threat, and it kind of is in a way. If we are failures as Christians, we will perish. perish. How could we expect not to? God is asking us every day to wake up, risk getting a little sunburned, and save the people who don't know that they're burning already. There are people who are suffocating on life. They're so comfortable that the silk around them is suffocating them. They don't know what's going on on the outside. There are also people who are vulnerable, who don't have a seed to protect them, who need our help. We as Christians claim to have the hope the plan for the future, and the escape. How many times in this past week have we shared those three things with people? How many times in this next week are we planning to share? How many opportunities have we foregone? Or how many opportunities have we accepted? Every day is a brand new day with new mercies. We have opportunities every day to do something. Some of those days, yes, should be spent on taking care of yourself, repairing the holes in your seat so that you can help others. But, like I said before, if that's all you focus on, it'll be a failure. I'd like to leave you with two things. Uh, One is a practical way to help. The first one being this. I'd like to invite you to make more friends. What I mean by that is more connections. The more people you know, the more people you're able to help. The more things you involve yourself in, whether it's a community project, whether it's a group of people you're not comfortable spending time with uh, for personal reasons, whether or not it's difficult for you, if you make more friends, make more connections, you're going to have more opportunities than you know what to do with to help people. And in that way, you can ask other little larvae in their seeds to come out and help you. The second thing I'd I'd like to ask you to do is once you have done this, once you have already done this, come out of your seat and help people. Pray for the opportunity to share. It will come. It might be immediately. It might be that day you meet them. It might be a few months or a few minutes. It could be 50 years till you have the opportunity to share. But it'll be worth it. It would be worth it for one person. That's how God thinks. He puts us here for a specific purpose, for such a time as this. You could invite people to Outreach Sabbath. You could find people who need help in your local communities. There are seniors graduating this year from PTA. Have you asked how you can help them? Have you? Do you know if they need help? Do you know where they're going to school? Are you sure that they're going to be able to make it? Might be surprised at the answers. What if someone needs your specific help? What if you're the person that makes a difference? Your financial assistance or your advice makes a difference so that this one student can graduate and then that student goes to a place. And what if he creates a, a, a company or an organization that feeds tens of thousands of people every year? And what if tens of thousands of baptisms come from that? all from one donation, one piece of advice. When you answered, your for such a time as this call. There's a food pantry run by our sister church in Portland. Do they need help? How many people do they meet and share with each week? How many of those people might want to learn about Jesus a little bit? Maybe you could take a Wednesday a month from 4.30 p.m. to 6 and come to the Portland food pantry and help. Maybe you could help in a financial way donate online. If I knew the URL, I would say it right now. Maybe that could make the difference. There are limitless, endless possibilities. You probably know of way more than I do. I've given you just a few examples. And if you want to do something about the specific examples I've mentioned, all you got to do is ask. Feel free to come talk to me or talk to PTA or talk to Portland I hope that you join me in recognizing the urgency of this call to action. May we be like Esther, brave and confident in her God to see her through. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for being here with us, for allowing us to learn a little bit more about the nuances of the story of Esther and also about nature Who knew we could talk about jumping beans during a church service? Thank you so much for allowing your nature to inspire us to be more, to be better, to be what you called us to be. To be present in the places we're meant to be for such a time as this. May you continue to bless us. May you be with all the projects that Brunswick Church is is uh, involved with. May it be involved in more. May we give so much to the different groups that they say, hey, we have enough. Go help someone else. Inspire us, God. Thank you for being so powerful and mighty and wonderful and kind and reminding us of who we need to be. In your name, powerful name we pray, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church